0: Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and excited to share with you some more nuggets that can help you in your business and also today in your life. And uh, I got to meet our first guest a few weeks ago at a mastermind that I was attending in Austin and was really struck by not only the knowledge that she had, but how much she spoke to me personally about how I was running my business. And I thought, yeah, we got to have her on the show. So excited for you to hear this episode. Again, thank you so much for sharing this podcast to your friends and your colleagues that also are in this field and you feel uh, can benefit from the little bits of information that we give. You know, our goal here is always to help you have the best practices possible within your practice, and today is no exception. So let's get started with welcoming our guest, Christina Wise. Christina, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's awesome to have you, Christina. Christina and I met, like I said, at a mastermind, gosh, probably about two months ago now, and it was at this place called the Wizard Academy in uh, Austin, Texas. I had never been before and met a few people, and during the process, we Uh, all got to kind of do a presentation, a short presentation, about 20, 25 minute presentation. And boy, did Christina speak to me. So before we get to all of that, uh, because money is a big challenge, Christina's uh, business is called Wealthy Wealthy, and she helps entrepreneurs actually be better with their money, which, you know, is kind of important for us to want to stay afloat. I always say that money is the oxygen to your business. If you don't have it, you suffocate and it does not feel good. You're very uncomfortable. So, Christina, before we get to all of that, let's talk about, as we always do on the show, your story. How did you get involved in this industry and then this uh, path that you're in right now?
1: Yeah, I will share that. And, you know, I would say money is really the oxygen to life. I mean, it really is. And, you know, many times as entrepreneurs, we focus just the money in our business and we're not paying attention to it in the context of life, understanding as practitioners, that whatever business we own, that our business is part of our life. So it's really a life concern, not a business concern. Business is just one of the pillars of life concerns that we want to get better at. That's Hence, great. you know, the work that you do. And, and, you know, and then I'm just teaching the fundamentals of money as part of life in these different segments. But my story, I like to start by saying that about five years ago, if there had been a fortune teller that has a hundred percent accuracy at telling the future. And I've gone to this fortune teller and he or she would have said, Christina, a couple of years from now, you're going to be teaching money. You're going to have these large audiences. You're going to be an expert in the field. You're going to help entrepreneurs really manage and master the money to learn financial freedom and, and, and be really a top educator in this field. I would have said, this is your one person that's you're wrong. Like, I, I mean, it wasn't in my Just,
0: mo- just screwed up your averages. <laughs>
1: it just, yeah, so it just I just messed you up. I'm sorry. Your hundred percent is off. I, I, that's not in it. So in, I'm surprised. I'm as surprised to be doing this as, you know, many others may or may not be. It's kind of the point of the story. So the reason why I tell that is because I didn't set this out. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't set out to be, a financial consultant, coach, consultant, whatever label somebody wants to give me. What I was doing is I was learning and doing this in my own life for my own sake. Mm -hmm. And then life happened and kind of divine intervention brought me to understand that this is actually why I'm here to teach this as a result of all the lessons I'd learned prior to that. So again, I, I, my pre, my previous self, what I call the, (laughs) the other Christine identity I kind of my claim to fame, I became very nationally known and na- nationally recognized as a broker, an innovator, a technologist, a podcaster, whatever in the in real estate. So I was, I was I was an icon in the real estate industry. I was known as the top 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country. Wow. Here again, I won innovation awards. I So, you know, <laughs> the segment here is, let's say, orthodontics. My segment was real estate. Wow. Now. What we want to understand is that even though we're very specific in business, orthodontics versus real estate, I wasn't a real estate agent per se. I mean, I sold houses and could do those things, but I was a real estate business owner and I did that very well. So the fundamentals of business as a business owner are applicable the same to orthodontics as it is to real estate as sure. an owner. Now, the practitioner is very different. If I were a practice as a real estate agent, that's different than the pra- being a practitioner of being an orthodontist, right? That skill set is different, the specific mm-hmm. skill set, but the fundamental skill set of money is exactly the same. And that's what we don't understand. And when we don't understand that money has its own language and money has its own skills, then we're just focused on the specific of our, you know, our specific life skill, mm-hmm. not, you know, and I know that's what you teach here is like the fundamentals of business. I go one deeper layer than that is the fundamentals of money and mm-hmm. life. With business is one of those concerns. But my story is that that one, I started in a trailer of all places, so very humble beginnings. And so imagine the mindset and the stories as a kid that started with those beginnings. And it came with a lot of shame, and not just shame once I realized how underprivileged I was, relatively speaking. But it came with a lot of shame as well because I got hand-me-down clothes. Kids at school would say, you know, all of our, all of our, all of our clothes came from goodwill type stores. So kids at school, because kids could be mean, would say things like, Hey, that was my shirt from last year. Oh, ha, ha! Christina's wearing my shirt or wearing my those are high waters. Those were my pants. They're too short for you. And imagine what that does to a kid, you know, like shame and embarrassment. And I just wanted to hide under a rock and and so that's kind of the sad side of that story. you know. It took a lot of therapy to overcome that one. <laughs> but, uh, but the good side of that story is I became very motivated to make money because I wanted to be included. I wanted to be one of them. And at that age, money mattered, like money meant. So I became very entrepreneurial and I became very good at making money. I'd find all sorts of ways at 10 years old to start Making enough money to be able to buy my Jordache jeans, to be able to buy an Izod shirt, you know, to be able to buy these names and these labels. So that's the good side. Now let's take the bad side of that. Now, what did I associate with those labels? Success. Like Christina wasn't worthy. Christina yeah, wasn't an okay human unless she was judged positively by the external environment, mm-hmm. other people. Which was very much predicated on what I wore, how I looked, how I showed up. So now that's the mindset that was that was implanted, very real, right? Again, this is age, this is age like ten on, but at ten that's where it became because I could start making money at ten to buy my my labels. And sure enough, what happened? The time I, when I started buying labels, and all of a sudden I was looked at differently. I got included. So there's truth, right? There's some truth. I, it just played out. Mm-hmm. But now you take before that, the mindset was never enough money. Money's from other people. You know Those other people, that's kind of what I heard in my household. Money was always an argument. Money wasn't safe. All the things that money wasn't, but I didn't want to be that. So I changed it. And now I got a different truth. It's like, oh, as long as I can make enough money and as long as I can buy things that made me look a certain way Life will be perfect, right? Yeah. So that's where it started with that. So that worked pretty well until uh, into adulthood, and then I get into real estate and because I love to make money and because I was very motivated by the amounts of money I could make. And real estate was a really great profession because as long as I worked hard and got a lot of clients and did the things I could make a lot of money. and I did especially compared to where I came from. You know, and this is after going to college and I actually got an accounting and finance degree. So even then I was motivated by money. Mm. But, you know, I thought learning it academically was all I needed to know, which wasn't applicable to life whatsoever. Right. But, you know, but then I get into real estate. So here I am making more money in a year than my parents would make in a lifetime. And mm. so what does this kid do? What does this poor kid do that now comes like, wins this lottery in a way, is that I buy everything. Right. Because I need to impress people because now I could be in a whole different class. Sure. Making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year when, you know, my parents probably didn't make more than 30 a year in a best. You went case from
0: case. Izod to, you know, Kate Spade. To, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now the houses get bigger and the cars get fancier. Sure. like And a lot of money on emblems on cars and all the things. And so, again, it, that seemed to work until the day it didn't work anymore. And what happened in my situation is that I got divorced. And what did we do? Was it a clean, nice, amicable divorce?
0: No, of course not. Of
1: course not, because there was kind of this illusion of a lot of stuff that money had bought for us. So what did the divorce become about? Dividing of stuff. It wasn't even assets at that point. It was just stuff and whatever money was left over. And so here was this ugly, horrific, disgusting argument over the money And who gets the most damaged in that situation? The poor two little sweet kiddos that were privy to this, right? Yep. Just seeing that. So again, I'm just, this is money. So this is money's the whole, I'm telling a story where money showed up. And I think my story can be applicable to many of us. Oh, sure. Then I find myself in this situation where now I'm a single mom. I'm divorced and I did pay attention to making money because I was fighting over keeping whatever little stupid stuff that I thought was important at the time. The attorney's got everything that's left over. And I'm starting basically from scratch with nothing. Wow. I was I was a primary breadwinner. I had to pay child support, like all sorts of stuff. But I found myself in the situation once all the dust had settled of realizing like, holy shit, I'm broke. And not only was I broke, but came out of that, that I figured out how to pay child support. I'm in a hundred percent commission job. I have no help now. I'm completely on my own rate. Single momming, like freaking out. Like, what the hell do I do? Not to mention because I didn't, because I was great at making the money. And here's a really key point. I was really great at making the money, but my old mindsets and stories was outside of buying the stuff that made me feel good to other people about yep. myself so that I could look at other people. What also happened was uh, I just gave my money to my husband at the time to manage it because I was afraid to touch it because not even afraid to touch it. I thought the only thing I had to worry about with money was to make it. And as long as I can make enough money, then every other problem would be solved. But I had some aversion to wanted to manage it and to do it. I just wanted to go, I was great at making it. It's like, if we need money, I could just go sell another house. If we got broke the next month, I could go sell another house. So then I got in this bad pattern of, okay, if we're tight because we overspent, then I just need to work harder and go sell another house. Yeah. You know, reached kind of that place of burnout. And what a,
0: that's what a lot of uh, entrepreneurs do, right? Is like, oh, I need more money. Okay. Just got to go work harder. Got to spend every day I can for, you know, ignore everybody else, ignore my health, ignore my family, just work harder and that'll solve everything. And I think we're going to, come into a lot of that in the next 12 months to 12, 24 months with the recession, with inflation, with people worried about finances right now, we're going to see a lot of that of like, okay, I got to spend more money in the office or more time in the office and away from my family. And uh, everybody should just uh, accept it because I'm doing this for the family.
1: Exactly. Well, that's it. And then it, it becomes like, I'm working so hard for you. Why are you bitching at me? You know, right. and That doesn't go down too well. Yep. So the, the, kind of the one takeaway there, well, There's a couple of takeaways from that part Mm -hmm. of the story. One is that because I'd abdicated Mm -hmm. any responsibility of the money after making it, because I was really good at that. Yep. I didn't know we had credit card debt Mm. in the tune of six figures. My names weren't even on the credit cards at the time. I didn't even, you know, I just, I was naive about the whole thing. I didn't know that taxes hadn't been paid. Mm. Yeah, at first I was really pissed off about that. Like that was his fault, but I was complicit in that. I was responsible because I never asked. Yeah, I didn't want anything to do with it. He yeah. probably yeah. wasn't malintentioned. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but maybe he just wasn't any better at it than I was. I probably wouldn't have paid the taxes. Either. You know what I mean? So to clarify, so this I, is
0: after the divorce, you got remarried I, I, and now- I wasn't you,
1: remarried. I'm not remarried. I'm just saying I'm a single mom. And I am like in a situation where I have no money in the bank. Now, because I hadn't been managing it prior to, when it came out the divorce and all the divorce settled, I had now not only no income, but I have six figures of debt and I have six figures of tax liens.
0: So who was taking care of all the non, who was not taking care of all the finances that you abdicated to?
1: Well, Christina wasn't doing it, but then my right. husband at the time was
0: oh. on
1: the credit card and wasn't Oh, got because, you know, he was kind of in charge of managing it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Again, that's not to make him out to be a bad guy. Right, I, right, right. That was not paying attention, right? If right. I cared about it or something, it was my responsibility to ask the questions or do the things. Right. It's just the point of that is that it was such this big wake up call. But I mean, I went through this like just despair. I call it financial despair and stress and anxiety because I didn't know how the hell do I get out of this mess of you know couple you know a quarter million dollars of debt, no income, hundred percent commission job, and two kiddos under the age of five.
0: Wow. You
1: know, so then, so my big head scratcher was kind of out of like, once I got out of my pity party and realized there was nobody there to rescue me, but myself, mm-hmm. then, but what I was left with is how the hell did I make so much money and here I am, not just completely broke, but beyond broke, you know, right, right. Like, how am I in a situation? My parents were in like, I couldn't feed my kids. Right. Truly. Like, how did I wind up here? And it it just became the number one question. Like, how the hell could I make so much money and be in this type of financial situation? Outside now, of even the numbers.
0: Can I ask, did you have anyone that you were talking to this time? Because I feel like that's one of the big secrets is that we just don't talk about money. Um, you know, there's obviously so, so many emotions around money and so many thoughts around money. Were you talking to anybody? Were you just trying to figure this out yourself? Were you... Just putting your, like I said, nose to the grindstone and being like, "Wow, we will work my way out of this." What, what, what were you doing?
1: Well, no, because now there was again all that shame. I had a certain reputation. I'm the mm, one I was oh.
0: top in my city
1: every single year. I was the top in my office every single year. I couldn't tell anybody like how shameful I sure. was. Really happy, right? That here I am, like the icon of the city, and yep. broke. So there's a lot there. And you know, so I tell this story because I think there's so much of this in the story. And I see so this much. because I see a lot of people's books and we work through these things. And there are a lot of the people I work with are big public figures and they're in a situation I was in. Meaning on the outside, it looks amazing because they have the cars, they have the houses, they have this business that has a lot of great identity and reputation. But at home, it's a disaster financially, and they can't reconcile the two, you know, right. because it's not obvious. So it was at that moment where I realized that there's more of the equation, this money thing. And what I found was the biggest myth of money hmm. is that the ant is kind of double-sided, but it's the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. And especially for the entrepreneur business owner. Because we can, we can see the neck. We can take on another patient. We can sell another house. We can Mm -hmm. get a new consulting client, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. So, and then, then, but what happens, what's kind of the derivative of the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. What loop does that get us in?
0: The continual, again, working hard to make the money and ignoring everything else over and over again. And it, first of all, how much is enough? Second of all, like, how do we get out of that cycle of, oh, I need more make money. Okay. It's got to work harder.
1: Yeah. It means the only answer to that is to work harder. Yeah. And is there a point where we just can't work any harder?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And that, so that leads to one other thing is burnout. How many of yeah. us own businesses where we're just effing burned out? Yeah you know, we don't really want to take the new client. Can we take the new patient? Yeah. But do we really want to, do we want to put in that extra hour? We really don't even, you know, if we're kind of paying pity party, like, why are you yelling at me? I'm doing this for you. Ultimately, we don't want to do it either. Right. That's just a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So you, we can see that just these beliefs that we've kind of brought in from culture and from our parents, they're really not serving us. So that was it is that, And so the second thing was that is that kind of the the next lesson is that there's more to this money thing than meets the eye. It's more complicated than just making money, but that's where most of us stop. And we're so focused on our business and our practices and and probably not paying enough attention to the money inside the practice. But even if we are just the practice, we're not. We're, it's just attached to hard work and hard work and hard work. And mm-hmm. we don't have an exit strategy. And so what happens then is there's something called Parkinson's law of money okay. and Parkinson's law of money. And again, it's, 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 a law, right? This is what there's just, let's say orthodontics. I can't go sit in a room with orthodontics and understand what the hell they're talking about. Right. right, right it's a different right. language. It's, it's right. a whole different language. It's a whole body of knowledge. That if it's a business meeting around orthodontics as a skill, it's, it might as well well be Greek to me. Right. You know? So what, I've been what, in many
0: of the, I've been many of those rooms.
1: I bet you have, right? <laughs> so, but when we can understand, like when you go to med school and you're learning the fundamentals of the body, the mouth, you know, oral, like all these things, since I don't have that fundamental knowledge, I can't. There's no way I can practice it, but I can't even understand it to try to make sense out of it. Right. So understand about money is money is a body of knowledge. Mm. It has language, it has distinctions. It has rules and laws that we have to follow. and if not, we're going to pay the consequences. So we know like a law nature's law that bad oral hygiene is probably going to lead to cavities and cavities are going to lead to pain and that pain we go solve the pain by getting a root canal or getting you know right. the cavity filled or getting right. you know our gums worked on or whatever but by virtue of not taking care of the law that you need to brush your and floss your teeth which in the is and you know especially after eating sugar like if we want if we don't know that exists we're going to have rotted teeth right If we know it exists and we we don't abide by that law, we're going to have rotted teeth. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing about money is that we have these laws. It has laws that we're not aware of. And as a result, we're going to have our disease of money. Mm -hmm. Money has this disease. It shows up as there's never quite enough. It shows up that we're working harder and we don't feel like we're getting ahead. It shows up in conflict and anxiety. It shows up for a feeling of lack of security. It shows up, I have to work harder to try to make ends meet, regardless of income level. Because yeah. the fundamentals don't care about income level. That's why right. there's a lot of, you know, broke lottery winners and celebrities yeah. and different things, right? The amount of money doesn't matter. So that's where, you know, I kind of went to school to actually learn money, even though I had accounting and finance degrees, it wasn't applicable to life. It's applicable to a certain piece of business, but not life. So Parkinson's law of money, which is a law, <laughs> it says, again, it's kind of twofold. It says, one, that expenses will always rise to much income. Mm. And it's as natural and as insidious and invisible that we don't even know it's happening. It's wow. just natural. So if we don't understand that law exists, and then if we don't put things in place to, so we're not victim of that law, we're just going to be part of the, the, the law of Parkinson's that says, as we make more money in our business, what's going to happen? The cost of our lifestyle goes up to match it. Mm -hmm. It's natural. It's biologically natural. It's culturally natural. It's dopamine natural. I mean, it's all these different things. It's it's acceptance natural, it's wanting to be part of a club natural. So it's a very human thing. And that's why it's always at work kind of against us if we're not using it to work for us. Right. The second part of that is called that what what's what was once a luxury becomes a necessity. So as our incomes go up and our lifestyle, the cost of our lifestyle goes up to meet it. We meet it. We have different expectations, We have different kind of expectations. So when there's volatility in our income, the our expenses don't kind of match the lower end of the volatility. Our expenses stay fixed because that's the cost of our lifestyle. Sure. But as entrepreneurs, we might have variabilities. <clears throat> the economies change. A new competitor comes in down the street. You know all these different things that could happen that all of a sudden, but we're, we like our luxurious lifestyle. We like to be included. We like yeah. the way visual. So, right. So all these things, this is one example of this, that that's at work against us. So that's kind of that part. The second thing that, so then what I did, I went through a decade of, in, of um, very intentional study of money. And I mean, just the more I studied, the more I'm like, why do we not know? Why do I not know this? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this not taught in school? Like, holy cow, no wonder I wound up in those situations. Sure. Just one layer. The next layer just was holy shit moment after holy shit moment of holy shit moment of kind of understanding it before I could even apply it. So again, it was just this, it's just a lack of awareness. We're mostly ignorant and naive when it comes to the laws of money Mm -hmm. and because they have to be learned. I can't just go drill somebody's teeth. You yeah. have to learn how to do this, right? Yep. And there's the yep. fundamentals of knowing where the, you know, the, the nerves are, and all this sure. stuff, and how to use the tools, and all the very specific knowledge. And yep. again, because money is its own body of knowledge, it has this, it has the same things. It has fundamentals that we have to learn if we want money to work for us versus our entire career is just working for it.
0: Well, so now that, go ahead. Can I can I ask a question on that? Um, so you've got the the law side of it right there and the language side of it, of money, which is the actual fundamentals of understanding it. But there's also that other side, which is that the mindset side, right? Like the underlying scripts. We all hear about people who make a ton of freaking money, not even lottery runners, but just people who make good money and for whatever reason, squander it, you know, whatever reason, get back to zero, lose it all, you know, gamble it away, whatever where is the correlation for you between the two of those and how important is it for people to understand that they must work in conjunction?
1: Yeah, well, so love the question. And it really is these kind of three parts. And the first part is the mindset of money. But a lot of people think if I just fix my mindset, it's going to solve all my problems. Right. My money problems. But it's really our competency that's that's missing, which is what I call the literacy piece. Mm. I'm illiterate when it comes to orthodontics. Let's, right. Be, let's sure. be clear, right? right? So if we're illiterate with money, the mindset piece almost doesn't matter. Because even if we say I'm abundant and I have all the money in the world and I attract all this stuff, sure, as earners, we don't even have to do that. We can just go make a lot of money, you know, make a lot of money, work hard, and be the best orthodontist in our area, and you know, make several hundred thousand dollars a year, a million more, whatever the case is. So even the mindset, that part of the mindset doesn't matter that much, but it's the lack of competency of what to do with the money after we make it. Right, and that's another key thing is that what I learned, it's not how much money we make is a small part of building wealth. And that there's these two fundamental differences. We're playing the income game or we're playing the wealth game. And before I understood that there was a difference, I was just in the income game, make a lot of money and have fun spending it and be part of Parkinson's law. And then, you know, I did worse than that. I didn't pay my taxes and got into debt. And now I'm working harder to get myself out of the hole that I dug myself in, right? Sure. So what happens is that every time that we put something on debt, on debt, let's say, it costs, it increases the cost of our lifestyle. So when we go from a smaller mortgage payment to a bigger one, we just included, we just increased the cost of our lifestyle. When we go from one car payment to a higher car payment, we just increase the cost of our lifestyle. When you know, we were running $5,000 a month on our personal credit card, and now it's $15,000 a month on our personal credit card to buy stuff, whatever the stuff is, we just increase the cost of our lifestyle. So every time we, you know, when if we go buy a boat and we have a loan for that, we just, it costs the increase of the lifestyle because it's not the debt, it's the debt payment, which is the principal plus the interest. So we're paying mm-hmm. a premium for the privilege of borrowing personally. I'm not talking about business. That's different. Right, right. So it's understanding too that every time we get a loan, we're co- a personal loan. We're costing, we're increasing the cost of our lifestyle. So it's just a very kind of fundamental rule. So that's the first piece is understanding. I teach people the competency first, first, and that's the literacy piece. Mm.
0: The
1: second piece that I teach before we even really get to mindset, which is kind of backwards from what everybody else talks about, is the and we look at mindset to look at some patterns. But when I do work with my clients. First, I'm teaching, I'm getting them literate of money. And it doesn't matter how smart you are in your individual practice. Most of us are illiterate. For doctors, sometimes it's difficult to say, hey, I'm so smart as a doctor. Right. I'd say a good portion of my doctor clients, they're, you know, they're making great money. They're exceptional. And they don't like to admit that maybe they're not great at money, you know, number one, because you're so advanced to have the intellectual capacity to be able to be a doctor, right. You know, you're top 1% right off the bat. I could never be a doctor. You know, I don't right, have that, right. probably that type of that type of intellectual capacity, right. But I'm richer than most doctors. So that's, you know, it's interesting yep. to be the case. Um, so with the income game, it's income and expenses, Parkinson's law, we're always increasing the cost of our lifestyles. We make more money and that's becomes what I call the earn spend trap. And then, if things are tight at home, then it's like we have to go work harder to try to cover the cost of the lifestyle. And it's a very uh, precarious pattern because, again, that typically leads to burnout because it's I'm just working to pay the bills. Right. Waiting vacations and even kind of this illusion of a good life. But at the end of the day, it's financially stressful, right? It's that stress. We're, and if we're stressed out about money, we're really not having fun with our money, like it, because it's associated with stress. So the competency is the first piece. It's and part of that's understand the difference between the income and expense game, which earn, spend, earn, spend. I make money and I spend it, I earn money spending, I earn money, and the more money. And so the trap there is that then the more expensive our lifestyle gets, the harder we have to work to pay next month's bills. And so it's almost dangerous when we don't have the competency. We really just kind of put ourselves into this corner of these really expensive lives. And we have to go work so hard to pay for these really expensive lives. And that's mm-hmm. the stress. And there's a the conflict at home. And many, I'd say, you know, most of my clients, again, of all income ranges, many of them make well over a million dollars a year. They're in the exact same spot. But our belief is, man, if I could just make a million a year, then all the stress would go away. Like, no,
0: it's nope. nope.
1: fundamental. It's going to stay the same unless yep. we fix the root of the problem.
0: That's right. So,
1: so that's it. So now the wealth game, it's a different game. And it means what it means. It's it's like um, going from orthodontics to heart surgery, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though it's medicine, it's, it's a different, very different thing. Sure. sure. So now, if we want to, you know, if we wanted to be a heart surgeon, we're going to have to apply all. The, we still have the fundamentals, but we're going to have to apply things differently. Totally. On the wealth game as opposed to the income game, the wealth game asks a couple questions. The wealth game first asks this question that I think is one of the most important money questions we can ask ourselves but very few people have ever do this because mm-hmm. we don't know to do it but is how much money is enough. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a philosophical question at first and then we break that down but first it starts with how much money is enough in the sense of just in general. So it starts with how much money is enough in the cost of my lifestyle. And so exercise I like to do with people is to say, okay, really design on an annual, you know, the cost annually, what is a good life? Meaning if it never got better than this, it would be just fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean it really is good enough we can have that great we can have more luxury we can have more comfort we can have more things but that way we're not always searching the next the next the next the next the next and comparing ourselves with the next echelon of income earners right, right but it's a really important exercise so that from that number we can design everything financially so their lifestyle architecture is by design. It's not in this keep up with the Joneses that we find ourselves in in Parkinson's law. That's natural. So when we can start with that, and really, you know, I do the exercises that, to, you know, help my, my clients come up with this, really kind of one of the takeaways from that becomes, wow, you know, I would be happy with this amount. If it never got better, this would be good enough. So it's a really great starting place. And if you blow it out from there, awesome. But at least we're not attached to more, that more is always better. But and then so that's more philosophical. And then two, practically, we can derive every other financial number from that number. So let's say the cost of our lifestyle is $250,000 a year. And it means kind of no debt, everything's paid, you know, maybe mortgage, you know, some other things, but just to live life to its fullest Everything we want to do, the type of vacations we want to have, the type of house we want to live in, the type of food, you know, healthy food we want to eat, the Botox we want to have, you know, whatever the case (laughs) is, right? That this is the cost of living for, you know, for our family, whatever that is, that includes how much we want to give away, whatever the case is. But now what we can do practically is multiply that number by 20. So, and these, you know, I don't have time to go into it. It comes off what's called the the kind of four slash 5% rule, which is a money, another money law that we'd learn literacy. But if you multiply it by 20, that comes with $5 million. Mm. So now how much money is enough for my future self to be able to have the same $250,000 of income so that I can walk away from my practice if I want to. Mm. And that's, that's what that level of exit strategy. Now, if we were going to sell our business and that might be worth something that could factor into the five five million, but it, it's starting kind of with the end in mind that's all organized around this equally philosophical and equally practical because doing the exercise, it's really great to say, you know, to be happy, I really don't need all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of just icing on the cake if, if it happens. Mm-hmm. But now if we know it's $5 million, we can create a, an investment strategy that says that I need to invest outside of my business this amount per year to be able to work towards using compounding and some very simple math, math that every orthodontist can do because you have very smart brains, right? And the calculators right. allowed us to do this, but we can do some very simple math using some compounding calculators and to say, all right, how much do I need to invest on an annual basis to be able to hit that $5 million? We call that the gap. I, let's say I have zero net worth now. Mm-hmm. And I want five million dollars. We can put that in calculator. Says I need to invest this amount per year to be able to hit five million dollars in ten years, twenty years, forty years. You choose your number. The older you are, the more you're going to invest yearly if you've gotten a late start, because sure. you know we're shrinking time, and that's why time and money really matters. The sooner we start these things, we have more time, so we don't have to invest so much on an annual basis. We don't need to take so much of our hardworking income to invest for our future self.
0: This is what I and keep trying way, to pound into my kids' heads right now because they're. I started way late, and that's my thing is is pounding into my kids like start now. I promise you. Let me help you. Let me give you any resource I can. Because, yeah, it's so frustrating that no one taught me this, and everyone just said save your money, but they didn't say how to and what to and all the the exactly. logistics it's of like, it. But, you should yeah.
1: save and invest. You know, like yeah. well, great. What does that mean? And that's why right. it's. It's confusing. It, it's not. I mean, the yeah. people that were to invest in, I'm like, we need to talk about these other things long before we say to where to invest. Yeah. And some of my doctor clients have made the worst investments because they just wanted to abdicate the money piece and give it to someone else to manage it versus us taking responsibility for that. That's and a really
0: great word that you talk us. about. Yeah. It's a really great word that you talk about with the abdication, right? Of like abdicating your money, abdicating that responsibility, uh, whether that be with your spouse. Like I have, I know I have clients who, or have had clients who have just abdicated all over to their spouse, and their spouse runs the business and runs all the money, and you know they really don't know anything about that, and they just do their what they do as a practitioner really, really, really well. Um, but it could be abdicating it to a uh, accountant or abdicating. There's a you know, um, I think you know Jim Do, and he talks about this idea of typically we don't have financial, uh, we we have financial historians not financial planners. That's what people hire, right? It's like somebody to come and tell you at the end of the year. So this is what happened, which is the history, not planning out to the future. Well, this is what you should be doing if you want to build this wealth. And most of us abdicate that responsibility. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it really is abdication. And that goes back to the mindset piece. Is there some belief in there? I don't have the time. I don't understand it. Those bookkeepers. Yeah. no money better than I do totally nobody will ever care about your money more than you do yeah and they're taking your money to make their own money yeah so there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're the one in charge and giving the directions mm-hmm. then they're working for you they're not they're not making their money just because you're advocating yeah. your money yeah. it's a different relationship and that's where I go into the relationship with money which is a different conversation. But that's the thing is whether I don't have time, bookkeepers, but it's to understand if we're abdicating the money in our books in our household to bookkeepers, a bookkeeper is like abdicating your surgery to your front desk assistant. Yeah. Right? No. It, or it's like abdicating, like, hey, we all, if we're busy professionals, do we have babysitters? Yeah. Sometimes we have nannies? Yes. But do we abdicate the parenting to the nanny? Right. Is there any ever going to love your kid as much as you do? Of course, yeah, of course not. not. So there's that yeah. balance of, do we have a lot of help when we have professional careers? Absolutely. But do we abdicate parenting? Do we abdicate the money? Do we abdicate, mm-hmm. you know, dinners with our spouse? How is our spouse going to feel like, hey, I can't, I don't have time for you, but let me, let me so-and-so is going to take you to dinner instead or take you on vacation.
0: Well, in, in an extreme way, it's like saying, you know, hey, I go to my dentist every six months. If I have a cavity or whatever, they'll fix it. They'll take care of it. But why brush between the six months? Like they'll take care of it. That's what they do. They're professionals. So that's not my job, you know? So yeah, that's
1: a very good example.
0: So do you, um, so I know that you have certain categories that you want people to be like looking at where their money goes and where they put it into. And we have about, you know, about 10, 15 more minutes on this. And I wanted to make sure that we get into that to where, they, you are giving uh, where you think people should really be looking at where their money goes.
1: Uh, so the reason I'm kind of telling these stories, I'll tell one final piece to the story, then I'll I'll answer that question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that then I spent ten years really learning money and starting to learn things, kind of things I'm sharing, like oh, there's an income game versus a wealth game. I wanted a wealth game. I want to have an exit. I need to know my numbers, and it's really knowing our numbers, our life financial numbers, from business to household to investment. So now I've just given some examples, but even that—if you know—if let's say I need to invest one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to be able to hit that five million dollars. Now, and the cost of my lifestyle is two hundred fifty. I need to say, okay, how much do I need to earn from my business? And I call this reverse engineering the numbers. Well, let's just say the cost of my lifestyle is two hundred fifty. Now I need to add one hundred twenty on it if I've not been investing at all, and I need to add taxes onto that. Sure. But now, let's just say that's that's making up numbers here. But let's just say that's five hundred thousand dollars. So now we can go to our business and create the business financial plan that says I need to create in the business five hundred thousand dollars of profit. That as long as I can maintain that five hundred thousand dollars of profit, everything else downstream is taken care of. Sure, I don't need to worry about money anymore. Everything is fully paid for and taken care of. So again, this is just what I call know your numbers. We reverse engineer into versus just, let me just work harder in my business to try to cover the bills. And I may or may not get to that investing saving thing that I'm supposed to do. And maybe I can sell my business one day and that's how I'm gonna get out of this mess. So it's 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 a it's the opposite approach than what most of us are doing. Sure, and yeah. so we wanna just flip everything on its head. So the where I was studying this and doing this is that then I had a health crisis Now, Mm. I was, even though I was following the rules, my public identity was my ego. And I was, I mean, I was famous in my space. I really was. Yeah. I mean, it it was kind of craziness to even think about it, but my public identity, what were all the people, all the questions that were people asking me, how do you make more money in your business? How do you do this in your business? How do you do that in your business? How did you run this? Everything was about my, the illusion. And I was making good money in my businesses. But the illusion of I was let's say rich because I had this very famous business, but then it was very public because everybody could see so what kind of I even caused it the distinction between being rich and being wealthy is being rich is what's obvious. it's the cars, it's the houses, it's the business, it's the PR articles it's it's all the stuff that can be you know I kind of put it more in the ego category not making that right or wrong but But that type of thing. Now, privately, what I've been doing over that 10 years is studying money. I've been building my portfolio. I've been building my net worth. And Mm -hmm. so wealth is private. We can't see people's financial statements. We can't see the cash in their bank account. We can't see the real estate investments and assets or other assets and investments they may have. The public piece is all on the business side. So then that's where the show piece comes in and it feels really good in many cases to mm-hmm. be the best, to have all these patients and clients come into us, to be the rock star. But again, that we're in that trap and we don't know it. So the wealth side's really private. So what I've been doing is building my wealth, but nobody commented on my wealth. They weren't asking me these other things because they're invisible to the public eye, but they could sure. see the public thing. So again, it's the understanding the difference between kind of public riches and private wealth. And many times the public riches get in the way of this building the private wealth because of all the things we've already talked about. So again, these different distinctions like nope and the wealth game. So I had a health crisis as kind of the final part of the story. And what happened in that was I still had a lot of ego because I really liked being, you know, kind of rock star famous in my space. But I was, even though I kind of knew my numbers, never enough was never enough. I was mm-hmm. always motivated to do more. And that was my own mindset, my own psychological stuff and not good enough and had to think I need to, do, you know, hit the next level of success, next level of success. So I was still in that childhood thing, of not being good enough that I still had to go prove myself somewhere mm-hmm. and, you know, and it created a health crisis for me at the end of the day. So, but what happened in the health crisis is that I had the money to pay to live. Mm. that I, because, because what happened to my business when I got sick, I learned this lesson that my body's my number one asset and I hadn't been taking care of it. And the constant trying to make more money all the time and not taking care of self is I lost in financial terms, me as the asset, my business started to crumble. My income started to crumble, but I was okay because I had a whole net worth of passive income and other income that was able to pay my bills and cash and assets I could sell that ultimately a quarter million dollars then later, it's been much more since then, cash to be able to pay it. So that what's brought me today to be able to teach, like there's so much more to money. There's the emotional side of money, there's the practical side of money, there's the language of money. So to break down these buckets and I'll share these very quickly, and each one of them can be a podcast on their own.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: First of all, it's just to understand there's there's these three life categories. There's business for us as business owners. There's our household. I mean, the three categories of life. There's our health. I had to learn health crisis to pay attention to my health and shape that up. There's relationships. I had to go through divorces too, to kind of wake up to the importance of taking care of a relationship first and not just about the money in the business. Sure. And the relationship piece, because you can have all the money in the world. And if your relationships suck, it doesn't make life too grand. And then there's the money piece. We need to take care of these three categories. But in the money, these buckets of money that I've broken down, is to understand, yes, once we've done this other work, the mindset's important because we can make a lot of money and blow it because we don't feel like we deserve it. Or we get in the trap of never making enough because we've got some mindset of not good enough. Mm-hmm. So that's the mindset piece. The second piece is the relationship with money, is that money is a relationship that if we want a healthy relationship, we need to have you know a certain relationship with our mouth, wanting to take care of it, want to have great oral hygiene and not have to sure. have the cavities one because who doesn't want a healthy mouth and it's systemic it affects all the other parts of the body but yeah. also on the money side is it inexpensive when people let their teeth go no no it's a boatload load of money every time mm-hmm. you have to get a cavity or root canal and different things so there's a financial practical cost attached to it outside of the pain and outside of all the other stuff yeah so again it's understanding kind of the, the consequences of this. So our relationship with our mouth is important to oral hygiene, as silly mm-hmm. as that may sound. So our relationship with money is a really important part. And that means how much time we spend with it, what we think about it, how we feel about it, how we talk to it. You know, So if we don't have a relationship with money, we're probably going to have money problems. Mm-hmm. If we have a mindset that's dysfunctional, we're probably going to have money problems. And the third piece is the literacy piece. Like I said, if we don't understand money as a body of knowledge, we're probably going to have money problems. Yeah. Final three to that, that's kind of what I call the kind of the soft side of money, which is the, the literacy, the relationship, the mindset. And the final three pieces are the practical pieces. And I call this the business of money. And it's just like being a practitioner as an orthodontist is very different than being the business owner. We can get in there and be highly skilled, but that doesn't mean we, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who are highly skilled in the profession, but they are really lacking in the skill of money. Sure. So it's understanding that our business is one body of money and we want to have a mindset and relationship and literacy within that container of money. But then we need to know if we know our numbers that we did that work before that I need to make five hundred thousand dollars a year. The whole business practice. Everything, the way in working with you, Dina, when you go in there is be able to say that what I need to do, I need the business strategy and I need the help and consultation. I consistently can earn $500,000 a year. If I make more than that, great but not to make less with that because then I can't hit the rest of my numbers. Mm -hmm. And then it's looking at the profit and losses. It's looking at the cash flow. It's wanting to get in and spend time with the money in our business and not abdicate it to the bookkeepers and CPAs. I can go into all sorts of reasons why we don't want to do that, but another note for another day, but we want to be the ones in there, even with a lot of help. And I have a lot of help with my finances, but I'm at the helm. Yeah. (laughs) Work for me, right? The second thing is we take that $500,000. Now we move it to our household. And that's what I call, I'm going to bust kind of the second myth is we think that we make, we build wealth in our business and it's not true. We build wealth in our household. Our business is just the source of income. We work hard. We want a great business and we earn the $500,000 a year as the source. And that's just business money. It's black and white. There's no emotion attached to it. We're moving levers and all the different things to hit that $500,000 and business is hard, (laughs) There's all sorts of things. We have staff and we have this and we have clients and we have upset. people. It's Business sure. is not easy, but it's kind of the fun of it too, to become good at business. Mm-hmm. That's the business. So now we move the $500,000 to the household. So wealth has not created the business. Wealth is created in how well we manage the money in our household. And I say, treat it like a business. You have a household profit and loss. And we're taking a profit off the first, which is that 120 out of the 500,000, because we want to exit and we want that future self to be taken care of. And we don't want to have to be in the rat race for our entire lives. So that profit is the 120 that we've already calculated. So we know exactly how much profit that's going to turn into $5 million. And then we live our, you know, we pay our taxes and we live off 250 under that. But how we manage our income and expenses and move money in these different ways to make sure that we're living this fully great life it's in the household, where we, where money can be happy. We want to have joy around our money. We want to know there's enough money to hit all the things we know it is because we've done all of our numbers. So Mm -hmm. now the anxiety goes away, but we have to be able to manage it. We're like, have to say like, Whoa, you know, we had a really low few months, something's changed. So we need to maybe change some expenses here right now to always have what I call the margin to make sure that we always have like that margin between what we make and what we spend on a quarterly basis. So that's that. And then the final piece is the business of creating your portfolio, your exit strategy. And that's like, doesn't take a lot of time, but it's just looking at, hey, what are my assets? How are they doing? Am I on track to hit my numbers? Do there need to be any adjustments? How am I doing on taxes? You know, is there some better tax strategy now that they're making more money? Did the CPA that I worked with before, is that the right CPA for the amount of income I'm making now? So we start asking different questions and paying attention to our money on the holistic level of saying like hey this is all my money and it needs to perform in my business it needs to perform in my household and it needs to perform in my portfolio and that became comes the lifestyle of money and that's just in the money game and what we're doing and money becomes very easy at that point and we're re- we're removing all the neg a good portion of the negative emotions other than sometimes business is hard and life is hard and we're bringing the joy of like wow it's just flowing it's working everything's growing and my life is fully taken care of financially
0: wow that is, a, that is awesome. That's a great full kind of picture of exactly how to get more wealth and be wealthy, wealthy, as you say, right, and have more health in your wealth. Um, that's, that's super important. I know a lot of people listening, I'm sure can relate to a lot of the things you were talking about when it came to how they are in their business, whether it be abdicating their finances, or even if they're not abdicating their finances, just eve I think there's a lot of people that probably pretend like they know what they're doing, because, they're successful, if you want to put quotes around that, right? They're they're good in their, their business, they're collecting a lot of money, and they're having enough money that they can play with it, and they can uh, they can afford a loss, if you will, right? They can afford to be able to say like, oh, we don't really need this, or that's not really important. Um, and uh, it, it's a challenge, I think, with a lot of people. Um, I know we've got to the place to where we, we need to wrap up here, but um, I wanted to ask you just a couple of quick little questions that are kind of top of the mind type things. Uh, Number one is what do you see as the biggest challenge most business owners have inside of their practice where they're, when it comes to their finances?
1: Well, the first thing is first thing, always abdication, give it to the bookkeepers and CPAs. So that's the number one fundamental mistake. Other than that, it's really just not understanding It's a lot, you know, it goes back to one of the buckets, but it's not understanding. So it's like, hey, I hire a bookkeeper and the bookkeeper gives me a profit and loss and I look at it for two seconds or it's in my email. So I feel like I'm doing the right things, but I'm not looking at the profit and loss. I'm not analyzing. I'm not making decisions because what are we want our especially our profit and loss and our cash flow statement. Our business is a tool. Like, imagine trying to do orthodontics without, I don't know what tools right. orthodontists use, but sure. without the hammers and without the different
0: instruments, the yeah, mm-hmm. instruments, right? Mm-hmm.
1: You you couldn't do it very well. But mm-hmm. so now our financial statements become our tools that we mm-hmm. use to see, like, how is the business doing? Yeah. It's like stepping on a scale. If we want to know the truth, we might tell in our head, hey, I weigh so much, you know, but we step on the scale and the scale is like a truth teller. So and it's not
0: it's something nobody likes to do.
1: Nobody likes to do it. Mm -hmm. That's why we ignore it. It's kind of most of us like, I really don't want to get in there. I know certain times I know the feeling still to this day that I know things are off and I'm like, I do not want to get in the books. It's not going to be pretty, but it's like, let's get in there anyway. Right. But our our financial statements become like a book or narrative. It will tell us where the business is failing. It will tell us where it's doing good. It will tell us where it's on track. It will tell us where it's off track. So that's number one. And number two thing that I see most often in businesses is that, again, holistically it might look good. It might take care of one little tax concern, but holistically it hurts. It hurts the entire body system that I, financial system I talked about, mostly the wealth creation. But it's running personal expenses to the business. Many business owners run way too many personal expenses because of this tax write-off thing, or they get instructed by their CPA to go spend a lot of money. And again, it looks good just in that one container, but from a holistic standpoint, we're robbing ourselves of wealth creation. So that's really kind of the couple top mistakes I see most often with with business owners in general.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I see those too. And I'm not even in your in your world, but I can totally see that when I talk to people. All right. So how with all this information you've given us you, you obviously know what you're you're doing. And, and I think a lot of people want to reach out and ask you some more questions. How can people get a hold of you?
1: You know, the easiest thing is, I mean, two things. I would I I have this money quiz that I call it the financial IQ. Nice. So just to test you, test you. We know how high your IQ is if you're an orthodontist, right? You're off the charts probably, far greater than my IQ by a long shot, I can promise you. But there's a financial IQ. Now my financial IQ is probably higher. But, um, and it's super simple. So you just go to wisemoneymethod.com forward slash quiz and just get your financial IQ. And if you're less than like a 75%, we have some work to do. And it's Man. actually really fun work. I think it's the best, most fun work to do.
0: Say that but again, wise. Money method wisemoneymethodcom forward slash quiz. quiz. Okay.
1: So do that. And then uh, once you do that, it'll give you your score. And then two, it'll give you a workbook where you can start doing, filling how much is enough. And if you want to do the exercise, it's a really great starting place. And then others uh, can start there. And, or I do 45 minute, just complimentary consults that anybody that just says, Hey, that would sounded very interesting. Can you help me out? Or I have some questions or, you know, whatever the case is, then, it's just my first name, which is Christina, care dot and forward slash call. And it'll just pop up my calendar and it's just a, a, an easy, you find a time slot and we do a 45 minute consult and I'll answer questions and see if I can help you.
0: Say that again, Christina with a K and two S's forward .com. slash call or dot com forward slash call. <laughs> yep. Okay. I had to miss the, the dot com part. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that I know is that uh, talking about money is one of the biggest challenges most people have. As I mentioned earlier, asking for help is not easy, especially for people who are very successful and, and know what they're doing. And as you pointed out so eloquently, don't want to show that they don't know, or that they're failing, or that this is not working, and you were in that position, and I think a lot of people are, and I actually don't think it it matters if you have a ton of money or if not, if you're just starting out, because this is feeling like if I have to ask for help, especially around money, then people are going to know that I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. So maybe they think I don't know what I'm doing in the other situation too, whether I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing in my life. So very, very interesting. It's it's almost like an assumption that we should all just know how money works. And yet we, most of us got our money mindset, our money habits from our parents who many of us didn't have a clue what they were doing either. They didn't have what they were doing. So I think it's really, really a fascinating subject. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your information and your time with us today. I really appreciate it, Christina.
1: My pleasure. Super fun. Thank you.
0: Well, everybody, I highly encourage you to reach out to Christina and get the information that she's so generously offered. Please take the quiz. You know, information is uh, knowledge is power, right? Knowing exactly where you are, it's going to be helpful to you. So reach out, get the quiz, uh, reach out to Christina. See if there's, uh, I mean, she's giving you 45 minutes of her time. Why not uh, take advantage of that? That's amazing. Thank you so much, everybody for listening. Remember, our goal here is always to help you be, uh, have more profit, more productivity and more positivity in your life. And we hope you did that. We hope we did that today on this uh, and today's episode. Everybody have a great week. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.